This is Michael, you're listening to Models of Masters, and I'm so grateful you're here. I'm breaking down personal stories, learned wisdom, and pieces of insight I hope can help you along your journey. Head over to my website, michaelbecker.org, for much more. And with that, let's get right into the show. I think you would be hard-pressed to find a more overused buzzword at least in the business coaching realm, than the word scale. And so I brought in Scott Ritzheimer, who is the founder and CEO of Scale Architects, for a special episode where we really get into a detailed analysis and description of what scale means, how to know if scaling is right for you, and then the specific five-step formula that my guest has leveraged in his business and with the nearly 20,000 new businesses and nonprofits that he has helped to grow to scale. So with that being said, we'll get right into the interview. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. A lot of people equate scale with speed or they actually want speed when they say they want to scale because they think it sounds cool and sexy. But the reality is that these are two radically different approaches to building your business and they don't necessarily go together. So Scott, talk about this rapid adoption of the sort of lingo around scaling versus what it actually means to do it in practice. Scaling does not mean growing quickly. Uh, I just want to put that out there. It, it has nothing to do with growing quickly. In fact, what it has everything to do with is whether you've built the ability to scale, the ability to grow to whatever size the market will allow and that you want. It's the ability not just to push the gas all the time, but to know when it's appropriate to push the gas full on, when it's appropriate to left off and when it's appropriate to break. And so you know, typically what's happening is organizations that want to scale don't actually want to scale. They want to grow quickly. And that's appropriate. In fact, you don't get to the ability to scale without going through an organic growth phase first. We actually have a name for it. We call the name of this stage of business growth fun. And so typically when you find organizations that are asking to scale, they're really in fun wanting to grow faster. And, and that's appropriate. We do that by focusing on revenue generating activities. One of the best pieces of advice I could give you is extremely simple, a little boring, but it's look at every decision you're making and say, does it save or create sales? Uh, and, and that's how you grow quickly in that organic stage. That's not scaling, but it's not bad. There's nothing wrong with that. We we don't need to hype it up or, or minimize what growth looks like. You just want to enjoy that organic growth stage. You, you focus on revenue and drive and drive and drive. It's a lot of fun enjoy that process while it works because scaling isn't just about selling anymore. In fact, it's a massively different trend uh, change. Organizations that are, are moving from growing to scaling, the example I like to give is it's like, you know, going from strapping another engine on the back of your motorboat to to taking it into the dock and it coming out a battleship. It, it, you can't scale by just doing more of what you're already doing. You can't scale by you know just trying to sell more or buy in other organizations or whatever it may be. You actually have to focus on creating scalability. Scott makes an excellent point there. The distinction between optimizing and scaling. Iterating on what you're already doing is a completely different approach than adding two. Going from 10K a month to 30K a month is not scaling if all that's changed was something strategic or skill related like your offer or your price. So scaling is when you add to adding employees, adding business units to your apparatus, opening a presence in a new location. That's what scaling is. 
and not every business is scalable. Sometimes staying small and maximizing output while optimizing input is the right move. A local dentist doesn't need to scale. So it begs the question, is scaling always the goal for every business owner? And how long does it take to get there? That process, you know, in terms of timing, uh, it, it, you know, for many organizations, it, it takes years. It takes years to get out of the first stage, which is early struggle, just fighting for survival. You can, you can enjoy the fun stage of organic growth for years and years and years. Uh, but what happens from this difference from growing to scaling is a third stage that we call whitewater. And, and whitewater is a place where most organizations get stuck for somewhere between three to five years. And what they're doing is they're dancing with whether or not they want to make the changes that are necessary to scale, whether the founder wants to give up a high degree of autonomy and freedom, whether they want to commit to a high degree of process and system, whether they want to, in, in a sense, grow up as a business. And for many, that's not the right decision. For, for many, the idea of scaling is something we've been told we need to do. It's scale or die. That's, that's garbage, quite frankly. Uh, not everyone needs to scale. In fact, most of my clients, when I, we talk to them about what scaling is and they look at what it actually takes to scale, they recognize that's not what they want at all. And if it's your business, you've created that business, you might as well create and, and lead the business that you like. And for many, many, many founders, you do that by just staying in that organic growth stage, by actually easing up the dials on growth. I think a lot of people want to say they've scaled their business because it soothes their ego, when in reality, like you, you, you can be just as happy nurturing what you already have and making it the best possible thing in the world. So I have the opportunity to work with uh, tons uh, of organizations that are growing very quickly. And, and, you know, quite honestly, I mean, there's stories of the $2 million to $20 million to $2 billion organization, and those are all fine, but it kind of uh, exasperates the myth of, of what scaling is and, and what it means to own your business and decide where you want to go. And quite honestly, the biggest wins for me when I'm working with my clients is the, the look in the founder's eye. I really want to hammer this point home. There's a right time to scale and a wrong time to scale. There's a right way to do it and a wrong way. Everyone can, but that doesn't mean everyone should start scaling. If you're at 50K a month in your business and you have a machine that's clicking on all cylinders, it doesn't mean you have to go out and add another thing to the mix. Like, why don't you just optimize what you've already got and figure out how to make the 50K a month thing do 100K a month? And if the answer to that strategic question is one of a scale, then that's when you scale. But if it's not, if you can tweak the dials of the existing machine in different ways and identify the true obstacle, you might find that you can achieve the results you want in a more minimally invasive way, which should always be the goal. What's the path of least resistance to my goals? Not necessarily to quote unquote scale. Scaling will incur costs, headaches, and more busyness, not necessarily more business. So only do it if it's the natural next step. I was working with a couple actually who are leading a business together, John and Rachel. And when I first met John, he was at a, a business group with a bunch of CEOs. And uh, I was actually speaking at the group, but before the event, I was just kind of watching him interact with others. And you'd have thought by the way he was talking, they had everything figured out. He knew every strategy on everything and, uh, and you know, everything was wonderful. Well, I start talking about these stages that we work with. And I start talking about the stage of whitewater where you're just, you're swimming in the complexity of a growing organization and it's getting the better of you. 
And I remember just seeing the blood drain out of his face. Like I, I thought something was wrong. I, I thought he might even pass out. And uh, and I, I, you know, I kept going. Nothing happened. I wasn't real sure. But we finished the talk. And uh, during the break, he came up to me and he's like, "We're in Whitewater." And yeah, I don't mind if I tell you this, but if we can't figure out how to solve this, we're out. We're done. Uh, organization had grown by a couple million dollars a year uh, in in the last couple of years, and uh, he and his wife were just buried under the work of it. They wanted it to grow. They wanted to scale. But the reality of it was it was costing them their life, their marriage, their health. And they were both ready to walk away. And uh, I remember talking with them before uh, they signed up. And there was just this concern, like, I don't know that this is even possible. I don't know that we have the capability of leading uh, an organization of the size where we want to take it. I, I don't even know that we can take the organization to this stage. Uh, I, 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 they were just exhausted. And so I talked to him and we talked about Whitewater and how that's just a normal part of the process. And I had an opportunity to sit down with them and their team. And, and within just a couple of hours in the very first day, I remember seeing the body language, actually both John and Rich just completely change. Uh, I remember them coming in and they were a little anxious and, and uh, exhausted, quite honestly. Uh, but uh, over time, as we're talking about all the things that we could take off of their plate, all the things that they were doing individually and as an organization that they didn't need to do, all of the extra headaches and hustling that was just not necessary anymore. And as we started taking these things off their plate and whittling them down, I remember the look in, in their faces and, and just there was a spark there that hadn't been there in the entire time I had known them. There was, there was this enthusiasm and energy by the time we ended the day. And uh, I mean, it was just fantastic. They tripled afterwards, right? So the growth comes, but the biggest win for me was the look in their eyes. I look at scaling different when I think about it as a gift for the time and energy put into perfecting the foundation. As a business owner, whether you're looking to scale or just optimize, one thing you always have to do is be open to opportunities to create exponential returns. What do I mean by that? What are the activities that are working for you right now? List everything that's working that you can directly correlate with income. Okay, now list everything that you're doing you're unsure of in terms of effectiveness in contributing to the bottom line. Which list is longer? What if you slashed the things on that second list? Like what would happen? The reality is that we want to believe that everything we're doing is of critical importance. But quite often, there's actually an inverse relationship to volume or quantity being churned out versus the yield we actually get from it. There's diminishing returns the more shit we add into the pile, right? That's because most of the stuff we're doing is nice to haves, but not mission critical. So again, it's about looking at what's already working and saying, hmm, how can I do more of this thing that's already pumping to get more of that? And based on my experience, especially working with the big B2B tech brands that I consult with, these levers are actually fairly consistent from company to company. Specifics might change a little bit, but the ingredients are pretty much standard. Product, price, promise, AKA offer, promo, and people. So Scott, kind of a two-part question here. Let's talk about the kinds of tweaks or tactics or strategies you've used to create leverage with the businesses you've been a part of. Every single one of my uh, clients achieves this in the same way. In fact, it's a process that we take them through every single time. We like to think that businesses are 
you know, completely unique and have different challenges than anybody else. But the reality of it is, while some of the variables change, the formula is always the same. There are, uh, there's a specific process that you need to go through to scale, and it's not at all what you think. In fact, the very first step is to create an org chart, right? Uh, it, it's, it's counterintuitive, but what we're doing is building an organization that's capable of scale. It's very, very important. Scaling isn't about scaling. Scaling isn't even about selling. Scaling is about building an organization that is capable of scale. You know, when it comes to lead gen, you know, a lot of people associate lead generation with scaling. A lot of people associate tactics with scaling. A lot of people say, what's the silver bullet? What's the magic thing? And the reality of none of that's true. And in fact, the vast majority of my clients have already largely figured out lead gen, but they're still not able to scale. And the reason for that is lead generation activities are largely the, the price of admission to the natural organic growth stage. We drive growth in that fun stage, that early growth stage. We drive it by generating revenue. And that comes from leads. It comes from lead generating activities. And quite honestly, I've, I've, I did work in the marketing space for a while. And one of the things that I learned there, or there's two things that I learned. One is that you've got to be make sure that you have a very 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 focused team uh that organic growth stage is not about branding it's not about facebook likes it's about what drives revenue and so there's a process to that it can take some time but if you're not generating revenue in the first 90 days of an activity it's probably not the right activity the second thing that i learned about is there is no one right lead development strategy uh there are folks who uh who you know have a, a, a a highly enthusiastic and energetic personality and that maybe they're great on camera or maybe they're best on the phone. Well, the one thing that I would say is whatever you do naturally, right? However you relate to your friends. If you relate to all of your friends on social media, then look for a social media strategy. If you relate to your friends uh, on the phone, then look for a calling strategy. If you relate to your friends in person, then try and find ways of getting in person with the people that, uh, that you want to sell to because that's naturally what you're going to do best. Any of the lead strategies work, quite honestly, and any of them won't work. It really matters that you find the one that works for you. Now, when it comes to scaling, when it comes to getting out of the growth mode and into scaling mode, what we have to start doing is getting it out of the kind of opportunistic, I'm the founder, I can sell whatever I want. And we need to start building out systems and processes that other people can implement and execute. And the very hardest thing that you'll do uh, for most founders, especially if they're great at sales, the hardest thing they'll do is shift sales from themselves to the next person. But when you do, that shift from the next person to the third person is significantly easier. And again, you can't scale you. So if you're responsible for all your sales, if you're responsible for all your lead development strategy, if you're responsible for all your fulfillment, you don't scale. You can't scale an individual. It just doesn't happen. And so it's got to get out of you and into a, a team. And to do that, you'll find there's a, at least a minimum amount of process that's needed each step of the way. A lot of what scale is about is setting up the right models, the right machines, and the right systems one time, and then watering them a little bit so they continue to work. Creating residual value processes that can maintain quality no matter quantity added. So Scott, what are one to two strategies that you would look at in any business to get set up once, but that can create outsized returns in perpetuity with a little tweaking along the way? 
the key to scale, the difference between uh, you know the natural growth stage where you know we're selling, we're delivering consistent quality. It's relatively simple, right? Uh, you know, there's five customers and we treat them all really well. The, when you're scaling, you start getting to the point where now there are 500 customers. Instead of two team members, you have 20 or 200. And to do that requires that you wholeheartedly, and this is difficult for a lot of entrepreneurs, you wholeheartedly embrace system and process as a way of doing business. This is not set it and forget it strategy. Set it and forget it strategy is, is fine for an organic growth stage. It's fine for a lifestyle business, but lifestyle businesses don't scale. Uh, organic growth stage businesses don't scale. There's nothing wrong with that. Again, in fact, most of my clients choose that. But if you're really going after scale, right? If you can't see the vision for your organization come to pass in the current context, you know, with maybe 10%, 20% a year, then you, you need to start looking at how to scale. And to scale requires not just a couple of systems that you set it and forget it. That's fine. Uh, and it's helpful. It's part of the, the overall process. But the reality of it is the number one process that you have to make is the process by which you make decisions. You, as the founder uh, with a leadership team, how do you guys come together and make decisions? That's fundamentally what this is all about because the ability to scale is primarily driven by your organizations, not you as an individual, although that's part of it, but your organization's capacity for making high quality decisions consistently time in and time out and executing those decisions. So the, the top processes that we talk about, and I don't necessarily have time to go in them, but there's a free course that folks can get if they're interested uh, on our website that talks about each of these, but there are five, honestly. The first one is we've got to build a, mach a machine for decision making. And we do that through some dirty fingernails work around an org chart. You know, who's responsible for what, what information do they need to succeed? What groups need to come together and make decisions and where? That's step number one. Step number two is a, a concept that we call lateral management. From a process standpoint, what we're doing is helping people work laterally inside the organization. If you can imagine a wheel, uh, in, the, in, in the center of the wheel it tends to be the CEO, founder, whatever title they, they, they have. And for any material decision to be made, you know, from this point on the outside of the wheel to this point on the outside of the wheel, it has to travel up to the founder and then back out again that doesn't scale. Uh, that ends up with an exhausted founder, especially or even if the middle isn't a founder, but maybe a group, a, uh, we call them T1 or, or, you know, the senior leadership team. Even if there's one group that's responsible for every material decision, you'll find that that bottlenecks very quickly. And so what we need to do is we need to teach people the skill and create an environment and structure and a process for making decisions without having to go to the center of the wheel every single time. That's what lateral management is fundamentally about. Third step is uh, is creating alignment in the organization. And this isn't just about having, you know, values painted on your wall or plastered on your website, whatever it may be. What we're talking about is tying every action by every person in your organization to the vision and mission of the organization. And we do that through a series of layers inside the organization, but there's a process of getting from the vision to those direct actions. It's not just one big step. Uh, fourth one, and I'm just moving through these quickly. The fourth step, the fourth process is teaching your team the ability to, to work cross-functionally. 
One of the things that's happening in a growing organization that's getting ready to scale is you start to see departments, you start to see divides between those departments and you start to see things falling through the cracks. You get a lot of finger pointing, you get people who are out of alignment, you get a lot of people running in different directions and we need to teach each individual in the organization, at least in the material positions, how to recognize the value of other departments, how to focus on people within the organization as if they were customers so that we can all work together as a group. It's the fastest way to destroy silos. Uh, it's a lot of fun to do, but it's a lot of hard work. Fifth step, and this is where it all comes together, is empowerment. Now, this is where most people try to go when they're thinking, I've got to scale, I've got to get outside of myself. We try and jump straight to empowerment. I'm going to tell people what to do, they're going to go do it. But we try to empower by abdication, right? You do this, I don't want to pay attention to it anymore. That doesn't work. To empower, to create scalability, empowerment itself is a process. And uh, those five together and in that order will create just an enormous amount of leverage. It is a 10x thing. And, and I know people talk about you know 10x growth, 100x growth. We're not talking about 10x growth to go from $100 to $1,000. We're talking about organizations that go from one to 10 million or 10 million to 100 million. It's that kind of a change that's possible when you do the heavy lifting in those five areas. To recap those five crucial aspects of scale, we have number one, the process by which you make decisions. You and your team have to start thinking in a scale mindset. Number two, lateral management, empowering team leaders to make important decisions that directly affect outcomes. Number three, creating alignment among everyone to the mission and vision, ensuring that words equal actions. Number four, helping people work cross-functionally across the board and empowering them to make important executive level decisions while understanding how their work impacts those other functions. And number five, radical empowerment, letting go of everything and putting the growth of your ship in the hands of your team. Complete trust in handing over the keys. When we systematically apply these five steps over time, we can maximize efficiency and growth at the same time without introducing unneeded complexities, which are inevitably going to arise regardless. And we can ma maintain equal or even outsized returns across the board. So my final question for Scott was knowing what he knows now, what would he tell his 25 year old self 10 years ago and why? If I could go back and tell myself one thing, it, it's this, it's that alone takes a long time. Uh, my 25 year old self uh, had this idea that if I couldn't figure it out, nobody can, right? Or it was up to me to solve every problem that I faced. It was up to me to figure out how to grow my business. It was up to me to make sure that, you know, the most important things that got done. It was up to me to get the right strategy. It was, uh, it was up to me, you know, now I may stretch that out to say it was up to us. We had a great team. I had some really wonderful folks on my team at the time. But the reality of it was we're very insular and we're very slow to go out and find help. And what happens in that regard is one, we found really novel solutions to things uh, and upset our industry because we were willing to reinvent the wheel. That's powerful. But the reality of it was we didn't know where we were supposed to reinvent the wheel and where we could just use existing wheels uh, to kind of beat the analogy to death. And so what ended up happening was we felt like we were the only ones that had the problems that we were having. We felt like, you know, there there wasn't some industry that we could pay attention to say, hey, here's how we can do it. There wasn't a group of people that, you know, worked in an industry that we could pull in to help show us the way. And so 
because of that and because of the novel ways that we're doing things, I in particular bought the lie that if we couldn't figure it out, it couldn't be figured out. And because of that, we spent a lot of time stuck in this stage called Whitewater. We were there for five years. And the reason for that was entirely self uh, created. It was it was because we didn't adapt and make the changes that were needed because we didn't know what those changes were because we we're making it up as we go. And so the, the, I surround myself now with advisors. I have an abundance of coaches and consultants and people who speak into my life because I know that the power of having someone with an outside perspective, someone with the pattern recognition to show, hey, here's how the pattern's showing up and playing out. And the honesty just to call me out and provide accountability where it's necessary. And I've found that it, you can get wherever you're trying to go, especially if it's scalability, you can get there much faster if you go together. If you want to check out what Scott and his team is offering to help you along the path of scaling your business, he drops a quick plug for you to do just that. If you go to scalearchitects.com slash six dash weeks, six dash weeks, there is a, a free masterclass there that will take you five minutes a day for six weeks and walk you through the actual process of building a scalable organization. Uh, it's absolutely free. You don't have to uh, pay a dime for it. Uh, there's a series, there's an ebook, there's some uh, uh, assessments. Uh, and there's a five minute video each day for, for six weeks that will walk you in simple, simple, simple terms, how to create a scalable organization. I'd love for each of you to get a copy of that and can't wait to hear how your, uh, your story goes, how your business or nonprofit scales. That does it for today's episode. I want to give a special thanks to my guest, Scott Ritzheimer over at scale architects. I do plan on going more into this topic around scalability and helping helping you guys to understand all the intricacies and the subtleties when it comes to scale because they are the difference between success and stagnation so with that being said i will see you in the next episode That is it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. My book, Content Capitalist, is now on sale. You can visit my website, michaelbecker.org, to grab your copy. There's also a link in the description. And if you'd like to learn more about what me and my team at Neocore are building, you can visit our website, neocore.co. You can learn more there and join the waitlist for when we launch later this year.